what are you most excited about at a personal level for 2016? What sort of things are you looking forward to as Aaron Fu before we talk about, you know, what you're looking forward to as Nest and all those good things? Sure. I think, you know, it, you know, 2016 marks a milestone for us because we moved into Africa in 2014. Um, and I think it's the year where we feel that we are, we want to start understanding a little bit more about the people. We want to start really boosting our Kiswahili lessons. We want to start really learning sort of more about the cuisine. So we've gotten a couple of chefs to sort of teach us their secret recipes. Um, so looking forward to having over, having you over at my place in Nairobi where we can whip you up a great Kiswahili feast. I, you know, I'm not going to say no to this. And of course, uh, we have our plans to... Uh, to hit uh, certain parts of Africa, uh, at least north of us, uh, in the new year with, with the annual tech roundup. And, with, you know, Nairobi may just happen. Oh, you must. The Nyamachoma, you know, the coastal food is amazing. I have to take you over to the coast for some great breakfast. You just won't believe. Malindi has some amazing food in, in the morning. You, you just have to come over. Well, Nairobi will have to beat out uh, Accra, Cairo, and maybe even Tunis. So we'll see. Well, you know, we picked Nairobi to start off with. That can't be a bad choice, can it? <laughs> the man is, 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 is making a case for Nairobi, eh? and a good one too. Listen, it may just happen. Well, again, so I've asked you what you're excited about for 2016 on a personal level. What does Nest have to look forward to um, that perhaps didn't happen in 2015 or needs to happen more off in 2016? Sure. I, I think we were extremely excited to start our journey in uh, the African startup ecosystem in Nairobi. I'm glad to say that after the four or five months we've been there, we're even more excited than before we began. Uh, we'd love to build on our reputation of um, some of the best events that we've run in Nairobi. Take that not only uh, to the rest of Kenya, but also to the rest of the continent. Uh, we'd love to see some of our panel discussions come across to Johannesburg as well. Um, we're also really excited at our partnerships. Um, so we run a product lab right now with Barclays, uh, and we're in discussions to roll out a whole number uh, of accelerators in the rest of the continent. And we're really looking forward to bringing innovation and startups from all across the world uh, into Africa, whether that's in agricultural technology, in fintech, uh, or even in insurance technology. Um, and as well, giving an opportunity for local founders to interact with these international startups as they come through. So 2016 is going to be a really, really major for one for us. Um, I think the other great piece that I'm really, really excited of uh, is while we started our journey in Nairobi, 2016 will be all about the rest of Africa. 2016 will be about what can we do in South Africa? What can we do in West Africa? Um, I've had a couple of really, really, really good uh, exploratory trips in Lagos, Accra, um, now in Johannesburg for the very first time, uh, and many in Cape Town as well. And I think, you know, we have some really exciting opportunities to, to bring Nessa's own brand of uh, acceleration, as well as connecting these cities uh, to the rest of our startup ecosystem in Paris, London, LA, New York. Um, we're really looking forward to that piece in 2016. You know, as uh, tech media, we like to, or we often point to actual deals getting made as a sign of you doing what you said you'd do when you first got here. And there seems to be a little bit of a buzz. You finally started to, to identify some investment prospects and uh, invest in them. Sure. Um, so I think there's two fronts, right? So one of which is we're really proud that we were able to send 
two African startups across to our fintech accelerator in Hong Kong. Um, many of them have already had great conversations with Asian banks around looking at piloting their technology. So that's really, really exciting. Um, I guess the only other comment I can make on the investment side on those two fintech startups is we invest in about 80% of the companies that come through accelerators. So watch this space. Um, and certainly we've already identified many, many companies uh, based out of Kenya, based out of the surrounding East Africa region that are already addressing global clients. And we're really, really excited to be partnering with them to further their scaling in the rest of the markets outside uh, Africa, especially uh, if they have a push towards Asia. So really, really excited at those prospects as well. And we all know the last quarter of 2015 was a pretty hairy one for investor relations, particularly in your part of of Africa, or at least where you live, uh, East Africa issues around Angani, and actually all over the country, all over the the, the continent. I, I think of the telecoms that just uh, hectic uh, uh, furore around their presence and their, the way they've done business so far. Uh, how have you been able, as Nest, to sort of uh, wade through the 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 sort of mire of of these issues? Sure, I, I think. Not to put it too simplistically, um, but I mean, those are real issues facing the ecosystem. I think they create a lot of distrust among individuals. They create a lot of fear in the ecosystem around sort of what is next for it. Will people start getting less enthusiastic about investing in the ecosystem? Will people start looking more at the risks versus the potential reward um, from being active in the ecosystem? But as Nest, again, not to sound too simplistic about it, but... The startups that we invest in have markets which are all over the world. And very often, they would have teams and staff which are also all over the world. That kind of limits our exposure to purely domestic issues. Um, so while the Nairobi ecosystem might be taking a hit in terms of maybe even consumer confidence in buying from startups, I think that was sort of the biggest thing coming out of Angani, right? I mean, a lot of people looked at what's going on with the board. Do we need to think of a new way around how do we manage governance? But really, I feel the the, the most sort of saddest thing about it was that most people just stopped using Angani and and more importantly they then question buying from any other startup um, that's coming out of Kenya um, so while that is, is challenging the other thing of course is that primarily affects Kenyan companies buying from Kenyan startups right um, because a lot of our companies are Kenyan companies with customers again from all across the world that risk is mitigated a little bit that's not to say the Kenyan domestic market is not important to us it really really is um, but of course um, being global we are able to sort of spread that risk out a little bit more I suppose that uh, validates what you said earlier that um, you know your, your your point about Kenya being a gateway to the rest of the continent it is in a really in a, in a, in a true sense based on what you just said no, absolutely. Um, so we intentionally push all the founders that we work with to go, have you looked at Lagos as a market? Have you looked at Accra? Have you looked at South Africa? If you're not comfortable with those markets, we can help you get to Indonesia. We can help you get into the US. Uh, we've just uh, sort of increased our team in New York as well. Is your fintech startup uh, applicable to some problems that some banks based out of New York are facing, right? Are you solving something to do with regulatory technology? Are you solving something to do with compliance reporting? Um, I think it's, we definitely intentionally push all our startups to look in that direction. As a quote-unquote outsider um, VC interest, uh, given that you're Hong Kong-based, or at least uh, that Nest was founded in Hong Kong, uh, coming to the continent, uh, what are some of the challenges of being 
an outsider and uh, and also what are some of the opportunities or unique perspectives you have that position you really well to to to, to basically fulfill the mandate you described Sure. I, I think, you know, some of the biggest challenges is I walk into a lot of meetings where people have known each other for a much longer period of time, um, where there's a lot of historical um, issues that have sort of, you know, colored the relationship between other people. Um, and I think, you know, it's been a learning process to try and get a lot more up to speed with with what, how the ecosystem looks like. Uh, we've sort of been able to overcome this quite quickly, actually, by hiring locally extensively. Um, I love our team uh, in Nairobi. I feel they are absolute superstars and leaders of the startup ecosystem. Um, and they have been around uh, in Nairobi working the startup ecosystem for much longer than Nest has. Um, and so they definitely go a long way in terms of uh, helping us color our own perspectives uh, on, our, on, on our relationships in the ecosystem, for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Nest, uh, from from what I've read, doesn't invest, doesn't doesn't insist on 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 on, on having huge stakes in the companies they you know that uh, it invests in. Uh, is that a good thing, uh, given how a lot of companies actually need hands-on guidance, as it were? And how do you assert yourself if you've got a too small a stake? Uh, and and why do you do it to, to start with? Why why would you why would you invest so little? Sure. Uh, many questions in that one. Um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, we prefer to take much smaller stakes uh, in a firm. And the reason we do that is really because we feel that the founder should have ultimate control over his own company. Uh, we feel that if a founder feels that he doesn't really own his company, you get less success out of him. Um, but the thing is, an equity stake doesn't directly translate into control. You could have a large equity stake, but not have a lot of influence over the board, but not have a lot of influence over the CEO. Um, we really think that it's more our role to guide. It's more our role to help the CEO with his strategies. It's more our role to help connect the CEO with other people in our networks that could help boost his business. I think it all really goes back to the ethos at Nest where we invest in people first and ideas second. Um, we definitely believe that we are investing in you, the team, and you, the CEO. And because we believe in that, why would we ever try and sort of supplant your authority? We just wouldn't. You come first. Your idea comes second completely. There are obviously areas in tech that must excite you personally, but might not be a great fit for the Nest system. What are those things? And, 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 and then tell me about Nest as well. Sure, absolutely. So I think some of the... the the businesses that excite me a lot uh, that are coming out of Nairobi as well as in, in the rest of the continent um, are a whole range of developer training schools. Um, you've got Moringa School in East Africa. Um, Andela has obviously gained a lot of traction in Nigeria. It's now just starting up um, in Nairobi. Um, you've got Mest in Accra, which are doing amazing things. Huge fan of Yon's work, being able to marry both technical training and sort of business training. Um, you've also got Coders for Africa, very, very huge fans of them, um, building on existing developers to sort of really take them to the next level, giving them really exciting international projects to work on. And the reason I personally am excited about these projects is primarily because they are building a pipeline of technical talent which will feel the startups in 2017, which will fuel the startups in 2018. And I think that's what will deliver the truly, truly successful um, startups in, in, in the years to come. But Nest wouldn't invest in them. Why? 
Ness might not invest in all of them is is probably what I'd say to that. And I think a primary inhibitor for us investing in any education business is this notion of scalability. Um, again, uh, to reiterate one more time, we can only invest uh, in startups that ca- are going to scale global, right? And I think the reason we do that is because that best utilizes our own strategy, capabilities, and our own network. Um, a lot of education startups just can't scale as efficiently. Um, you look at a typical classroom setup, you need to set up another classroom you need to rent another classroom you need to hire two more teachers you need to hire one more administrator for every 30 students that you that you take in there is very little that i see in terms of an ability to service 300 students while sort of gaining any real efficiencies um so so that's sort of a challenge that i see with most of them but you know, that doesn't mean that they're not successful businesses. You you can run an extremely successful businesses that just requires a lot of capex to scale. That's that's perfectly fine. Um, but that's just not Nest mandate. So describe the perfect sort of investment candidate for Nest. Sure. I mean the perfect investment candidate for Nest in Africa anyway, um, is a founder that truly, truly believes in the mission of what he's looking to build. Uh, we love investing in founders who feel that what they're building is their purpose in life. Very often, the founders that we work with have had personal experience with the problem um, and have come to us and said, look, I really need your help to do this to scale even faster. But even if you don't help me do this, I will do it anyway. And that kind of shows us that that individual would have the perseverance necessary to be able to follow this through. The other aspects of startups that you know, we feel are ideal are ones that leverage our capabilities thoroughly, ones that leverage our capabilities geographically. So whether that's pushing out into new markets, certainly more in Asia, whether that's from a supply perspective. So perhaps do you need to have your supply chain on your hardware piece sorted out? We can definitely help with that. Or are you looking at entering a new market that's also in Asia? Um, But also we would really love to speak to more founders that are playing in spaces where we have vertical expertise. So whether that's health tech, whether that's fintech, whether that's IoT, whether that's smart cities, whether that's medical imaging, um, would love to speak to these founders as well. So I think if I were to describe the perfect one, it would be one that's, you know, very, very driven in terms of fulfilling this purpose, one that is looking at taking his startup globally with an Asian focus, and one that is playing within one of the verticals where Ness has a strategic uh, advantage in terms of helping them uh, gain uh, access to a wider market. Could that candidate be pre-revenue? That candidate can absolutely be pre-revenue. We've definitely admitted uh, startups into our accelerators before, which pretty much just had an idea on the back of an envelope. That's that's absolutely no problem at all. Um, again, um, sorry to read the mantra, but it really is about founder first. Um, pre-revenue is especially okay if the founder has had other businesses before, if the founder has a great track record, whether that's as an entrepreneur or as an entrepreneur. And I would love to emphasize that entrepreneurs actually make fantastic founders as well. Um, I see a lot of founders come through and actually their story is more in the various organizations I've worked with, I've built up products from scratch, right? I've never run a startup. I've never had to start my own company, but... I've run my own product. And I think that sort of delivers a little bit of confidence in terms of your track record of running a business. There seems to be this glass ceiling, though, uh, or at least this perception that if you haven't had an Ivy League education, um, you you don't have a couple of blue chip firms on your resume, (laughs) 
uh, you you know you, you basically you've never traveled the world, haven't seen the world, and have a context for for creating products that will appeal in other markets. Um, a VC interest like yours will walk right past. What would you say to someone who's sitting here, who's who's listening in right now, who basically fits that bill but has a great idea? Should they give you a call? No, absolutely. Um, you're a scrappy entrepreneur. Clearly, you've been scouring the internet for the best startup news and therefore stumbled upon this podcast. Um, so you're actively looking for information, right? Take that same attitude and apply it to, I need to learn more about this market. Um, go out there, um, connect to the startup ecosystem in that market. Um, you know, I've been involved in startup ecosystems all across the world, and I can guarantee you that they are extremely collaborative, um, Nairobi is always very known for being very collaborative within itself. But frankly, most startup ecosystems would love to hear from an entrepreneur in Zimbabwe or an entrepreneur from Nigeria um, around how they, their product could potentially be deployed into, again, Manila, Thailand. I, I'm sure that it's all about just reaching out. Eventually, as a founder, you've got to reach out to your customers. You've got to reach out to your investors. Why not start reaching out to where you want to roll out your product? Um, you clearly are scrappy enough. You clearly have worked hard to form your team. You've worked very hard to do some customer research to figure out what your core value proposition is. But why not apply that same thing to figuring out what other markets you know can can use in in terms of your product? I think also worth mentioning that reality still is that a majority of the startups that we look at in in Africa have been. Uh, founded by individuals with extensive corporate experience, with a lot of blue chip names on their CVs. Many of them have gone to school abroad, and that really does give them a bit of a leg up. But, you know, everyone loves a good story. If you're coming from behind, I, I'm sure that uh, there, there are many entrepreneurial ways in which you can get ahead yourself individually, right? And I think that almost proves that you're not on, only entrepreneurial with your business, but also with yourself. Um, rumor has it you, you take far more meetings than your contemporaries in other parts of the world where Nest operates, um, uh, presumably because it's far more challenging to find a diamond in the rough. Would I be correct in saying that? And if I am, what's, what makes uh, you know, finding great uh, investable businesses in Africa so difficult? Well, I think I completely agree with that. I mean, very often I find myself needing to speak to significantly more startups than a lot of my colleagues in other cities. But it's what I want to be doing. Uh, it's, it's definitely a personal passion of mine to discover as many um, world-class startups and world-class founders here as possible. Um, and I think very often they're working alone uh, in their backyards or in their rooms and they aren't coming to larger hubs or larger competitions. And it's it's up to us to go out there and find them and identify that they are doing a fantastic job at this one particular product and help them bring it to life. And what works better often? Is it them coming to you or you finding them or stumbling upon them? And if if it's about stumbling upon them, what sort of network do you do you rely on to do that? Sure. Well, I, I have benefit of having been in financial services for the last nine years and, and specifically around financial services technology and financial services innovation. Um, so I regularly go out into my networks and sort of go, have you heard of anyone doing something really interesting in this particular space? Um, and I think very often most of the gems do come from that. Um, so even if you don't get in touch directly with me, 
um, definitely make sure that there are people around you who know what you're doing, uh, who know what you've been up to and know the value of what you're building out. Um, certainly, I do enjoy um, sitting in on pitch competitions. I do enjoy avenues where 20 guys can sort of come through back to back and sort of pitch to us and that, that sort of a reach out. And I guess it more the it depends on how that reach out is approached. Um, I really love founders that come across and just start the conversation by going, there's a problem that I really want to solve. This is who has that problem. This is how I'm going to solve it. And this is why I'm the best person to do it. If you have that conversation around solving a problem, it becomes a much more interesting conversation than... I want to build an e-commerce startup, which I can then sell for a million dollars in six months. Um, I think it goes back again to how we prefer investing in founders that really believe in the purpose of what they're doing. But surely there's nothing wrong with, I have this idea that I think could scale and make us all rich. <laughs> sure, of course. There's, there's nothing wrong for you. And, and certainly there's nothing wrong for maybe other angels, which that could appeal to. Um, and, and I think, you know, there, there, there are a lot of, people with great ideas and and i think message to them is it's really all about execution i know this has been said a number of times on your show but i mean it really an, an idea is something that's in your head until it's out of your head until it's a product until it's a business plan until there's a team around you building it together with you it's an idea in your head um and an, an idea in your head is worth significantly less than an actual product um, by far. Um, so, you know, to, to that, I, I would just say, if you have an idea, test it, run it by more people, get pre-signups, right? Kickstarter is there for a reason. Pre-sales are a fantastic way to fund your first prototype. Um, get creative with how you fund it and get creative how you test it. Do you, do you have a threshold for, for investment? Are there companies... Are there sort of startups out there that should sort of shop elsewhere because they, you know, the kind of support they might need financially or in terms of, you know, a dollar amount would be too high for, for Nest to sort of, uh, you know, be participating? Sure. I, I think certainly it's, it's a little bit too late stage for us to invest in Uber. Um, so ah, sorry about that. <laughs> Missed that one. Um, however, we, we have invested in some other great transport um, startups as well. Um, when it comes to, to thresholds, I feel, I feel that while there is a certain limit to what we can do um, in terms of being able to fund them, I think we're great at taking them to a stage whereby they can get funded at the next level. Um, I think everyone knows that the sort of really, really big money is in San Francisco, right? A lot of people move to the Valley just so that they can raise that next mega round. Um, but I think a lot of founders just aren't there. And I think we're able to, to bridge that sort of funding and skills gap to help you get to where you need to get to um, to raise that mega round. And how many years away are we as an ecosystem on the continent from that point, do you think? Wow. Um, that's a tough thing to say. Um, but as I mentioned earlier on the show, uh, I think with the dramatic explosion in developer schools, um, a lot more um, startup founders looking at moving across, um, certain accelerator uh, venture funds <clears throat> like us uh, coming across and linking the ecosystem to the rest of the world. I really think that in two or three years, you will see 
an African ecosystem which is not only more collaborative internally within the continent, but also incredibly more collaborative outside of the continent. And I think that can only mean that you will have more and more globally scalable startups. And what that means is that suddenly the software that's developed here becomes exported. Suddenly it becomes more about just the Kenyan domestic market, just about the South African market. Um, so that's certainly what I look forward to in the future, sort of two or three years from now. Well, look, I can't vouch for, 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 for Nest or anything, but certainly um, Def and I on the show have a heart for what seems to be, a, you know, uh, lip service turning into actual things happening. Uh, the, the extremes that we can't stand on the show are uh, VCs that just think they can throw, you know, money at a problem and sort of see things happen, uh, as well as sort of players, you know, so-called uh, accelerators and incubators who who really don't have a clue about what it really takes to take um, a great idea or a great founder and his idea from point A to point B. It seems uh, Nest seems to be doing um, a lot of what we think needs to be done. And so we can only wish, wish you the best for 2016. We will be watching you closely. And when we come to, to, to Nairobi, we certainly will be looking, uh, <laughs> looking to check you out properly. But yeah, all the best to you. No, thank you so much. Looking forward to welcoming you at the dinner table, uh, giving you a bit of a tour of the Nairobi ecosystem and sharing a little bit more about why we're so excited about it. Fantastic. Thank you, Aaron Fu.